0: morning, if you have your Bibles, if you could take them out to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and if you don't have a message outline, there's one right by the, back by the center doors at the ministry counter. My question to you this morning, do you have a king in your life? Do you have a king in your life? Everybody wants a king. Everybody wants a king. Not everybody might say it like that, but everybody wants someone or something that can meet their needs. Everybody wants someone or something that can bring security or, or a sure identity or a sure worth in their life everybody wants something or somebody for some people it's their vocation some people it's their advocation and for some people it's that savings or checking account or that stock portfolio they have for some people it's their accomplishments it's their resume it's their title they have at work and for some people it's a person that without that person they just seem lost and for some people it's themselves they're the king of their lives right so we have all these things that we have there that are king of our lives, and it's always been that way. All the way back from the beginning, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we've always looked at, we've had this struggle, who is going to be the king of my life or what's going to be the king of my life? If you have your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8, I want to share a simple truth with you this morning, that only God's kingship provides abundant life. And this morning I want to show you two responses uh, to God's kingship, that only God's uh, kingship br- Uh, promises abundant life let me share the the context of the passage that we're in this morning Uh, the children of Israel in the time period of the judges they had judges at that time and the judges were extremely ineffective for the most part because God would appoint a judge and then they would reveal declare what God wanted to declare and the people would be obedient and then there would come spiritual apathy and after spiritual apathy they would become disobedient to God and God would bring judgment and then God would appoint a new judge, and then God would reveal, and that cycle would start all over again, and again and again. That would continue that cycle throughout the book of Judges. And, and matter of fact, the book of Judges is really a commentary on the depravity of mankind, the depravity of mankind. We're totally depraved. The last verse in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It sounds like today, right? Sounds like today. but And yet God was going to do step in, and God was going to redeem a nation. God was going to redeem the time. But he chose to do it not through a uh, someone riding in on a white horse and going to hold revival meetings, but he chose to do it through a woman who wanted to have a baby, and she couldn't. And she prayed that God would give her a baby. And if you get proud, you give me a baby, I promise to give him back to you that he might serve you. All the days of his life. And God blessed her with the baby. He blessed her with the child and, and then he blessed her with many more. But she fulfilled her oath or her promise. She brought the baby after his weaned, uh, three years of age or so. She brought him before and brought him to the high priest and said, Here he is. You raise him uh, so he might serve the Lord all the days of his life. And that high priest's name was Eli. Eli brought him to the high priest's name was eli in in there in shiloh shiloh was the spiritual capital of the world Is before the temple was built in jerusalem this is where the tent of meetings was the tabernacle was this was the ark of the covenant and eli had two sons was hophni and phinehas and the bible says about them they were corrupt they were immoral men they were wicked men who did not know the lord or had no regard for god so they placed in spiritual leadership positions but they were not spiritual leaders they were in it for what they could get out of it right So now you can see the time is coming because Samuel is is growing up, and he's in contrast. He's under Eli's mentorship, his leadership, and he's a hunger and thirst for God is what we see with Samuel. And Samuel's that little boy that Hannah had, dedicated, gave him back to the Lord if you're following the story. But you find now the leadership is going to go through a transition because Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two sons, are killed in a battle with the Philistines, and the ark is captured. And when the news gets back to Eli, here's the news. The Bible says he falls back in his chair, breaks his neck, and he dies. So now Samuel is not only a high priest representing the people to God and also making intercession for God, but now he's the prophet, God's prophet, where God is going to use him to share his revelation to the nation of Israel. And so the story of 1 Samuel is just that. It's a story of Samuel. Then it's a story of the first king, which is Saul and the second king which is David and then the story of first samuel comes to a close but the two responses that i want to share with you this morning uh, to draw your attention to is number one if you have your outlines is recognize the tendency to reject god's kingship recognize the tendency to reject god's kingship so let's read first sam i mean first samuel chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. when samuel grew old He pointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Droll, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and preferred justice. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail for a minute away from our passage, and when I'm done, we'll come back to the passage. But in verse 3 is a very sad verse. And, And if you read that as a parent, you have to look at that, and you have to say, mission failed, right? I mean, it sounds like Eli with his two sons. And you want to say, didn't you learn your lessons? Didn't you learn your lesson of what happened with Eli's sons? you, I mean, didn't you learn? But to be fair as parents, we're called to lay it down, but our children have to pick it up, right? They have to pick it up. They have to do their part of picking it up. But our, our spirituality and our love for Jesus is not automatically transferred from one generation to the next. It's not. We'd like them to be, but it's not. And so there's this part that we have to do as parents, as a mom and dad, from the very beginning, we have to be, be able to, for our children to live lives worth imitation. Because our children are going to imitate us of what we're going to do, right? So we have to live a life of imitation. And me as a dad, I have to ask, what's in my life that I, want, diet, I don't want my children to imitate? And you've got to do that as well. You've got to ask yourself, what is it in my life that I do not want my child to imitate that's in my life, that I need to get out. And as you identify that, as God identifies that, whatever it may be, you ask God that one, two, seven, eight, or 20 things, whatever it may be, you ask God to give you the strength through the power of His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit to limit those things from your life, to take them out. Because it's too important, right? Your children's lives are too important. You and I have to live lives worth imitation. Because they're going to imitate us. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how the age of your children. We have to live lives worth of imitation as moms and dads, as grandmas and grandpas. We have to live lives worth of imitation. Secondly, we have to be intentional in what we do. Be very intentional and, and formal as well as uh, formal, uh, sharing with our kids the greatness and goodness of God, what He's done, and what He's like and sharing how he's met the needs of mom and dad and how he's met the needs of grandma and grandpa. And God has always been there. And God has always, always, always been faithful. We have to share those things according to what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 10, Ephesians 6. It's all through the Bible. Psalm 78, we have to share those things. We have to share with the kids the reality of our faith. So they know that this church thing that we do, this church game is not a game that we're just playing, but that it's real. It's real what we're doing. And our kids have to know that Jesus ju- isn't just an add-on to our life, but Jesus is the reason that we exist. That he, in him we live and move and have our being is what the Bible says. It's all about Jesus, right? We have to lay those things down for our children. We have to live that life worth imitation, and we have to lay those da- things down for our children and pray and pray to God that they'd pick them up, that they'd pick them up and they'd follow in the ways of God, right? If we think for some reason that our kids are going to be more committed to Jesus than we are, it usually doesn't work that way. It usually goes in the opposite direction. So we have to model that life for our children so they can see. I said it a couple weeks ago that sometimes I, I come across parents will say, uh, you know, I'm going to let my children find their own way. I'm just going to let them find their own way. It sounds really really cool to say that, right? Let them find their own way. Parents, listen to me. Your responsibility as a mom and dad is to help your children find god's way they need to find god's way because the bible tells us when our children are left to find their own way it tells us everyone did what was right in their own way everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the end it leads to destruction in end it leads to an eternity apart from god always does not sometimes it always does we need to help our children find god's way and god's way is only one way and it is through his son jesus christ every other way is our way right There's only one way that is right, and it's through Jesus Christ. We find forgiveness of sins. Not only did they come to know Jesus, but they learn how to follow Jesus and walk with him. And they learn it from us, mom and dads, as imitations. They see us doing it in our lives. They have to imitate us, right? We want them to imitate us. So we have to take out those things that don't need to be there. We need to make sure we're walking the life and living it for them, right? Uh, So let's get back to the past. That's kind of the rabbit trail. That's all moms and dads into families. First Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. That was Samuel's hometown. Verse 5. They said to him, You are old, that don't sound good, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint the king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Verse 6. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. This is one horrible day. It's probably one of the worst days in the life of Israel. This day, right here, right here, we're talking about. You say, what about when they were carried off in captivity? In 722 B.C., the northern 10 tribes are carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. Uh, And 586 B.C., the southern two tribes are taken off into captivity by the Babylonians. Those were significant days, but those days are a result of this day right here in Samuel's life, where they made a decision, we don't want you, God. That's what they were saying. We don't want you, God. We don't want you. When they made that decision, that's what happened later on. So Samuel is getting old. So he gives part of his authority to his two sons. He appoints them as judges, Joel and Abijah. And and, and he gives them what appears to be the southern area, because Beersheba is a city way to the south. So they're there to help him by governing there, to help him to to be there. But the Bible says they're in it for the money. They're taking bribes. But they're supposed to be representing God. Listen, in a church... It doesn't matter the way you set up the church government or what you have written in your bylaws. If you have corrupt people in leadership, it doesn't matter how you govern the church. It's going to go bad. It all has to do with spiritual leadership. You have to have spiritual leadership. So the elders from Israel came to Samuel, and the high priest and, say, the high priest and said, we, we want to have a king like all the other nations, and they gave two reasons. And the first reason I don't like as you heard me say that before, because you're old. And all of us that are getting old, that doesn't sound right, does. But that's what they said, you're getting old, they want somebody new. The second reason they came, because your sons don't walk in your ways. And that's kind of sad. Your sons don't walk in your ways. There, later on, there will be other reasons given, but these are the two reasons they were given in this passage. And they're given them because years back, they had lost 30,000 soldiers, and we talked about that. 30,000 soldiers to a battle in the Philistines, and the ark was captured and taken and uh they're fearful so they're saying we we want to have a king who's going to stand up for us and defend us and that's what they wanted and what they were it wasn't wrong for them to ask for a king don't think it was wrong for them but what was wrong they were moving from a theocracy now to a monarchy by the request for asking for a king In a theocracy god was ruling them god was ruling them directly god would have judges he would have priests he would have prophets but there was no king and so now in this movement from a theocracy to a monarchy By the way, as I said before, wasn't wrong to ask for a a king. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 and 15. Way before this is happening, God said this to them in verse 14 and 15: When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, "Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us," be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be among he, he must be from among you your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. So it wasn't wrong for them to ask God for a king. It wasn't against God's will for them to do that. Their challenge was they were choosing a king over God. We don't want you, God, but we want a king. We don't want you as a king, we want a king. That's what they were saying. And so Samuel, when he heard those words, it very displeased him because he took it personal. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. And ever since I brought them up out of Egypt, they have been this. A constant rebellion against me and wanting other gods now they're just making it officially says they're making it official right now we don't want you as our king we want our own king is what they're saying we don't want you god as our king we want our own king and you ask how does god know all those things how does he know this how does god know what they're thinking how does he know this can i ask you this question is there anything that god doesn't know is there anything he doesn't know no god knows all things right can i jump ahead for a moment remember in the choosing of David as a king after Saul? They, God is going to choose David as a king. And, and he says he has all of uh, Jesse's sons to line up. And he says, uh, uh, Samuel, I want you to anoint one of his sons as kings. And they line up. And God says, I'll tell you which one it is. And each, each son comes up. We're going to talk about this in two weeks from today. But each son comes up, and he says, no, not that son. No, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. And he goes through all the sons. And finally, says, do you have any other sons? Well, yeah, we have this. My youngest son, my little boy's out there and he's shepherding the sheep. He says, bring that shepherd boy in. There is a passage that helps us so much where it says God looks on the inside while man looks on the outside. A wonderful principle that helps us to know that God knows all things, right? He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart and mind. He knows your motivation. He knows your thought life. He knows what you're doing. There's nothing you can hide from God. We only see what's on the outside. We don't know what's going on the inside of anyone. No matter how well you know them, God sees it all. He knows exactly what's going on inside of your heart and mind. He knows the way you're thinking. He knows your motives. He knows why you did everything. He knows it all. So he knows all things. And God had this special relationship with the children of Israel way back from Abram. And God said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to never leave you. And I will never forsake you. And I will be faithful to you all the days of your life. And I will give you commandments. And he says, teach you, teach you how to live and what I expect from you. And those commandments that I give you are based on who I am. They're based on my nature. And God says, and this is how I want you to live. Because I want the nations to know what God is like through the way that you live. The same way today. God says, I want the people to know what God is like by the way that you and I live. God says, I want them to see what I'm like. We're supposed to be uh, as Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus. Represent Jesus to the world. Represent God God to the world. That's what we're called to do. And they continued to be unfaithful. Over and over and over again, they were unfaithful to God. But God was always, always faithful to them. Always faithful to them. Unless we're so critical then them, we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. Uh, Let me share a couple passages of Scripture help it remind us of that. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? One translation said the heart is desperately wicked. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, written eight centuries before Jesus would come to the earth. It says, We all like sheep. We are the sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of us. And so all of us left by ourselves, we would do our own thing. We would go our own way. And it happens all the time. It happens maybe every day. Maybe it's happened in your household this week. Maybe it happened yesterday or this morning where it may be between a husband and wife, or it could be could be between a parent and child or a relationship inside of the house where someone had a disagreement and they kind of their emotions got involved with it. And it, can you imagine that emotions get involved and, and they say things that they never should have been said. And during those moments that their emotions got involved, who was king? Was he or she was God king in their lives at that moment? When we say those things that should have never been said and five minutes after we say them, we say, boy, I shouldn't have said that. In those moments, we're taking the crown off Jesus' head and we're putting on our crown. And we're king of our lives. So we do that all the time. It happens all the time. Or maybe you're driving down the road and you drive by right after the service. You drive by one of these dealerships. And I don't know about you. When I drive by a dealership, how many of you like to look at the cars? glance over I know I should be looking at the road but I love looking at the cars and maybe you see that brand new sports car or that brand new truck or a brand new SUV or whatever you like you look at that and there's some things you just know right I just got to have it I don't even have to pray about it right I just know that I've got to have that right I'm just joking we always have to pray right we always have to pray about everything but but sometimes we look and think boy if I had that car or that truck or or that SUV it would make me better be a better husband I could be a better wife or, or I wouldn't be late for anywhere, and I'd always be on time for church, right? So we make up our reasons, but the question is, have we prayed about it? Have we asked the king about it? Have we interacted with the king to see how that purchase of that car is going to affect other priorities in my life? The first one is giving my first fruits to God. giving my full tithes to God. Is it going to affect that? Or is it going to affect me, my ability that I might be able to help others that are in need? It's not wrong, don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to have a brand new sports car or truck or an SUV. The point I'm trying to make, there's a king in our lives. And who is it? Is it God? Is it ourselves? Or is it someone or something else that is in our life? Who's the king in our lives? The writer of Proverbs encourages us in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, as I said, a, a wonderful verse. That says, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And the Bible tells you and I from the very beginning, don't trust in yourselves. Don't trust in your own heart. Our hearts will not lead us correctly all the time, guys. But it's saying that we have to trust in the Lord in all circumstances. And don't lean on my own, own understanding, but trust him. And he promises to make our path straight. And what this is meaning, what this is saying to you, is that we have to have our mind and our heart aligned with God. God's. We have to have our mind and our heart aligned with God's in order to make good and right decisions that are according to His will. That's how we have to do it. And the only way we do that is by getting into the Word of God and praying and stuff like that. But we have to have them aligned with God. Because if we're trusting in our own hearts to do the right thing, guys, we're going to make a lot of wrong choices in life. We're going to make a lot of wrong choices. There's one other principle, the second response to God's kingship. Realize the consequence of alternative rulers. Realize the consequence of alternative rulers. We're going to read a passage here, verse 9 through 18. It's kind of a long passage. I was thinking about not reading it, but it really gives the consequence what God is saying. Here's a consequence. When you're going to choose this king, I want you to know the consequence. God lays it out for him, and God does that to us many times too. So let's read verses 9 through 18. God says, now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. Verse 11. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will sign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And others to plow his ground to reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to, per- to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and your you yourselves will become his slaves. Verse 18, when that day comes, You will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. He lays out the consequences for him. And God says to Samuel, let them have the king. Let them have what they've asked for. And by the way, God does that to us sometimes, doesn't he? That we pray and God answers our prayer, not because he's trying to bless us, because we're so obstinate. We're so hard-hearted that we want it so badly. And God says, here it is. And and he gives it to us because we have no idea what we're asking for, God, and we, we, we... we want it for a particular reason that makes sense to us, but only God knows what's best for us. And that's why we have to come to Him. We can all justify the things that we do, can't we, and decisions we have to make. We can all do that. It's easy to do that. I can look at something and make up all kinds of reasons. I can maybe sometimes take the Word of God and make the reasons, but God knows best. So my heart has to be aligned, and my, my heart my mind has to be aligned with Him at all times. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, I look at this day that has happened in the life of Israel, and I think, what a horrible, horrible day that was going on. Have you ever watched the news like that? You, you hear the news or listen to the news and say, man, what a horrible day that happened. But back to this day in Israel. It's a horrible day. Yes, amen, it's a horrible day, right? But a sovereign God takes this day, and this horrible day is not the last day, it's not the fa- final day. Why? Because God is still on the throne and nothing has changed. God is still on the throne. And there will be a day coming where they will choose a king, and that king is not going to make it. And then they're going to choose another king. And this king is going to be different. He's not perfect, but this king represented the greater king, and he's going to lead people to that king. And the king I'm talking about is King David. We're going to talk about him in a couple weeks, about that king. That was God's choice. That's who God wanted to be king. And so please don't be discouraged today as you look out at our world, and you look out at the the country is very much divided. It's very easy to get depressed as we learn about our world and we learn about our country and and the politics and everything that's going on. It's very easy to get depressed. May I remind you, there is a sovereign king that is still on the throne, right? And none of this catches him by surprise. He knows everything that's happening. We're concerned about our world, we're concerned about our, our country, maybe missiles flying around and all the other things that go with it. It all begins in our own hearts, right here in our own hearts, God guys, where God has placed us here on mission in this world. And the question we all have to ask ourselves, is Jesus the king of our own lives? That's where it starts. Not they got to do this, they got to do it. Is Jesus the king of our own lives? Is he king of your life? That's what we have to ask. Is he the king of your life? Is he really the king of your life? If you're a believer in Christ, is he king of your life? If you're not, you need to accept him. And so God says to Samuel, If you want a king, if they want a king, then give them a king. Then give them a king. And and let them know the consequences. But when you choose a king, there will be consequences. You choose the consequences, right? When you choose a king, you choose the consequences. Can we all say that together? Because it's so true. When you choose a king, you choose the consequences. Let's say one, two, three. When you choose a king, you choose the consequences. What a great principle to remember. Because it's so, so true. Who's ever the king of our lives, when we choose that king? If it's us or someone else, we choose the consequences that come with it. So God says to Samuel, let me summarize what he's saying to you. What he's saying to them. He says, Your young men are going to be drafted. And they are going to be drafted to fight with the chariots and run before the chariots. They're going to be drafted to go to war, is what he's saying. And many of them will die. They're going to be drafted. He says, Some of your sons and daughters will be drafted into servitude to sing to serve the king. There will be taxes there will be a land grab some of what you have now you're not going to have it anymore and he says you're going to lose your own personal freedoms is what he's telling them so he identifies those verses five different consequences if they choose a king like all the other nations so now he comes to and says now you have your choice he says you need to make a choice he says you can either choose god who's never had a day of unfaithfulness to you or you can choose this king but if you choose this king There will be consequences. Understand, there will be consequences. Make your choice. And we look at hindsight today, we know, oh, we choose God, right? We say that, but would we? Let's look what they did. In verse 19, we have. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. They wouldn't even listen to him. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then will we be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, and to go out before us and fight our battles? Verse 21, it's really sad. When Samuel heard all that the people said, repeated it before the Lord, the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, go back to his town. What a sad day. Before uh, 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 a sovereign God gave them what they wanted, but not what they needed. He gave them what they wanted, but not what they needed. And sometimes God has done that to me and I've had to learn the lesson. I've learned the lesson i wanted i wanted it that's not what i needed and god gave it to me and i had to learn a hard lesson many times that's happened so the question is who's the king in your life seriously who's the king in your life not what you think you should say oh jesus we all want to say that but is he really who is the king in your life there there's a song that a lot of people live their lives by uh, a very popular it's an older song, but it was a very popular song. It's written by Frank Sinatra. It was done by Frank Sinatra. I don't know if he wrote it or not, but it's called My Way. You're probably familiar with the song. There's no song that shares it quite like that song. And I've even heard people ask this to be played at their funerals. Uh, but it really applies to how our world is right now. And I want to share these words with you. It's, bear with me, but listen to the words. It's kind of a long song, but listen to what it says here. It says, And now the end is near. So I face my final curtain. Friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. More, much more than this, I did it my way. And yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it all my way. I've loved, I've laughed, I've cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find it so amusing to think I did all that, that may I I say, not in a shy way, Oh, no, oh, no, not me. I did it my way. Now listen to these last words that he shares. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, I did it my way. Yes, it was my way. Could you make a memo to yourself to not have that played at your funeral? Don't have that song played at could you make a memo to yourself that don't allow people to remember you that way that you did things your way. What a horrible song because of the horrible way of life. Because every one of us, every one of us are going to face the final curtain one day. Every one of us when we face the final curtain to say we've done it my way, to say that we've done it my way, on the other side of that curtain is horrible because in eternity apart from God in torment. That's what it means when I say I did it my way. And Jesus died that we would never have to live things our way. He died so you and I would never have to face God the Father without Jesus. He died so we could do things His way. That's what He wants, so we could do things His way, not my way. My way's wrong. We need to do it His way. Wouldn't have been a better song, and this is a verse that I thought to give you to, to memorize, and probably do it sometime in the future, is Galatians 2.20 wouldn't that have been much better where it says i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me the life i live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who died and gave himself for me wouldn't that have been a much better song for me to live for christ and die is gain but to do it my way guys you do it your way it leads to one place in eternity apart from god it always does it always does if you are here today you don't know jesus christ is your savior uh, let me just share with you. There's only one king that should be in our life. There's only one and it should be Jesus is the king, right? He's the only king there really is. And if you are here today and you don't know that king, you don't know him as savior. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to realize that one day there's we're going to have to stand before him. We're going to have to give an account. And if we've done things our way, we will spend an eternity apart from him. But God says because of All of us did things our way. Every one of us in this room have done things our way. And it's led us to be separated from God. It's a chasm away from God. Because God is holy, pure, and just, and righteous, and perfect. And you and I are not. So we're separated from God. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's no way we can approach a holy, just, perfect, righteous God because we're not. So we're stuck in our helplessness and hopeless doing things our way. We're separated from God. And there's nothing we can do about it. We're stuck so god out of his love and his grace he sends his son jesus who is god who's the son of god he comes to this earth and he takes on the form of a human being and he, then he goes to the cross and god placed all those things in your life that separate you from god all those sins all those motives everything that you've done that separates you from god and they's placed upon jesus and jesus died on the cross for your sins he was your substitute he died in your place that's god's grace God has given you what you do not deserve, God's grace. And now our response is respond by faith, by accepting what Jesus did for us into our lives personally. Where we come and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, I know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God, and that he died on the cross for my sins, and I accept that finished work that Jesus did for me on the cross by faith. I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, if you've never put your faith and trust in jesus who's the king and savior of our life please do that today by simply saying god i know my center and know that jesus christ died on the cross of my sins and i accept him right now as my savior is he your savior have you accepted jesus not that you know about jesus but that time in your life you accepted him if you've not done that please do that today accept him as your savior do that today if you have questions about that please see me after the service because that's the most important where you're going to spend eternity if you're doing things your way, we've all have been there. We've all done things, aren't we? It's an eternity apart from God. always leads there, not sometimes. It always does. It guarantees there's only one way that leads to God, and that's through Jesus. For all of us who know Jesus, we've accepted Jesus into our lives, and, and hopefully he's the king of our lives, right? And has it ever happened as a follower of Jesus Christ? We've taken that crown for Jesus, and we've kind of sized it for our own head. Have you ever done that? And when we say, we make the decision, and we say, he's not the king of my life. He's not the king of my relationships. He's not the king of my my finances. And what did I say before? When you choose a king, we choose the consequences, right? When we choose a king, we choose the consequences. Imagine for a moment, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, imagine for a moment that you take a mirror and you hold that mirror up in front of your face right now. And you look at that mirror real intently. I mean, look at it real carefully. Do you see a crown on top of your head? Do you see a crown there? Uh, In other words, is Jesus the king of your thought life? Is Jesus really the king of your finances? Is Jesus the king of your relationships? Is Jesus the king when you're at work? Is Jesus the king when you're talking to your neighbors? Is Jesus the king when you go out to eat dinner? Is Jesus the king when you're out with friends? when you go on vacation, is Jesus is the king of your life, if you look closely in that mirror and you see a crown that's on top of your head, and we've all been there, guys, what are you going to do with that crown? My urge you is to throw it away or surrender to the feet of Jesus, drop it to the feet of Jesus, but don't throw away the mirror because you're going to need that mirror again because you and I have propensity to put that crown back on in our lives, to take the reign of our life many times and say, God, I'm the king of my life, and I'm going to make this decision apart from you. And we don't ask God for direction or guidance. So we have to check this often. So this morning, I'm asking you to check and see who's the king of your life. And I know we all want to say Jesus, but is he really? Is he really the king of your life? Is he the king in all those areas that I mentioned? And more, is he king in every area of your life? If he's not, we need to surrender those crowns to him this morning. And what I like to do is just go in a uh, word of prayer and just give us an opportunity as we check our own hearts examine our own hearts and just imagine that mirror in our in our lives uh, but let's just go to lord in prayer if you don't know jesus christ your savior this is the time you can accept him at this time so let's just go to lord in prayer lord we come before you this morning and we just say we're so thankful we're so thankful that you're the king of our lives and god that you want to be the king of our lives that's even better and so we ask to, Lord, for those this morning that don't know you as their Savior this morning, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, convict them that they're sinners in need of a Savior. Lord, I pray for their heart and mind this morning. They might right now, right where they're seated, if they understand who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, that he's God, and he died on the cross for their sins, they might right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be led by the Holy Spirit, accept him as their Savior. By simply saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And right now, I put my faith and trust in Jesus that he died for me. And, Lord, if they've done that and they truly believe it, they truly understand who Jesus, what he did, that, Lord, that they're saved. We're so thankful for them, Lord. And I pray, Lord, every one of us know Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if someone does not, Lord, I pray they pray that prayer, Lord, to come and talk to me after the service, Lord, just to work in their heart and mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. we raise up their soul this morning, Lord. Lord, I, I pray for all of us that are, that are here, Lord, the rest of us today who love you. We're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful for the cross and what you've uh, done for us. But, Lord, we put that crown on way too many times. And I pray this morning, Lord, there to be a lot of us casting those crowns again. Lord, we ask this in that most precious name, in Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're going to sing a Revelation song, and this is an opportunity for all of us, for every one of us. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, what a wonderful opportunity to put your faith and trust in him. If you do, this would be a wonderful opportunity to say, I know Christ is my Savior, but I've got these crowns. Through this song, it would be a wonderful time to cast that crown at Jesus' feet. Or to come up, if you'd like to come up here and pray. It'd be open if you like me to pray with you or someone. I'd be glad to pray with you. But this is a wonderful time for us to really examine our hearts. It doesn't doesn't do any good for us to say, "Oh yeah, he's the Lord of my life," without us examining our own hearts. Guys, in my heart, many times I can ask my wife that I'm the king of my life, and I have to have to to submit and confess that sin. That Jesus has to reign in our hearts and minds. And so many times we take that crown on. So examine your heart and mind, and say. Who's wearing the crown? Is God or are we? Not in just one area, but in all the areas of our life. Our finances, our relationships, at work, my my communication with other people. Who's, who's, Who's the king in my life?